series entitled Chasing the Wind in the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'd love for you now just to grab a Bible and head to Ecclesiastes with me. You can do that in a couple ways. Uh, One way is you can grab this Ecclesiastes journal. Uh, Hopefully you walked in and you got this last week. You can grab one on your way out if you didn't. Uh, But you can just turn a couple pages and find Ecclesiastes chapter 2 in this Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes journal. Uh, You can also grab an actual physical copy of a Bible, and that's easier than ever to do because we have them under the chair in front of you. You can look, it's okay. Uh, We have Bible racks uh, under the chairs, and some of you know one of the reasons we were so excited to get these new chairs, yeah, we can celebrate that, uh, is so we can make the Bible more accessible to you. And so we just got the Bible racks. Uh, They were like, there was like a shortage of metal because of COVID, right? Because of COVID, everything is because of COVID. Uh, so we just got them installed. And so we're so excited. I'm so excited to tell you, if you don't own a Bible, grab that one, take it with you. It's our gift to you. Right? These are the things preachers get excited about. I've been looking forward to this day a long time, right? Uh, and so get Ecclesiastes 2 in front of you however you can. And I know some of you, I see some new faces in the room. Some of you missed last week. And so I just kind of want to set the stage as we get into Ecclesiastes chapter 2. There's really two key terms. That, that frame up the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, there's under the sun, and this word in the Hebrew, havel, which is translated in your, in your Bible as vanity or maybe meaningless. And, and that first term, under the sun, it's mentioned 29 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's getting at, and what Solomon is getting at in this whole book is life in a fallen world. That since Genesis chapter 3, sin has infected and affected everything in your life. And so things don't work how they should. Things are are frustrating and fleeting in life. And so Solomon's going to talk about that. And for some of you, especially if you've grown up in the church or are religious, that's going to make you uncomfortable. Because on occasion, Solomon's going to redeem all this and point us to God. But for the most part, he's just going to let us sit in the mess of life. And, and you're going to be tempted to say, like, well, Tim, no, there is meaning in life. I mean, didn't God redeem it? What about Jesus? Didn't he rise again from the dead? And, and Solomon's going to remind you, yeah, but I'm talking about life under the sun. That's another sermon for another day. But today's sermon is, hey, life under the sun in a broken world. This is what it's like. And he's going to describe the, the logical conclusion of all of that life under the sun in this broken world. And he's going to describe it as hevel. That's this word vanity or meaningless, but that doesn't quite capture the true meaning of the word hevel in the Hebrew. You see, it's literally this word that means like a puff of smoke. And it is the idea that the life is fleeting, that it, that it goes by fast and that we, that we die and leave this place. Uh, it's also the idea that life is frustrating because life under the sun is just kind of, it doesn't work how it should and we think it should. But it's also the idea that life is puzzling. It's the idea that even when life does work how we think it should, like you grab a hold of that success or that pleasure or that meaning or that career or that status or that wealth or that spouse, whatever it is for you, that when you grab a hold of it, you open up your hand and nothing is there, or at least not what you thought would be there. That's why we entitled the the series Chasing the Wind because Solomon gives us that kind of word picture Life is kind of fleeting and frustrating, but it's also puzzling. It's like a a cloud. You look at it, it looks solid, but you grab it, and there's nothing there. 
And so Solomon wants to get us in tune with the reality of life. We said it last week. If you're looking for positive, encouraging K-love, Ecclesiastes ain't it. But if you're looking for an honest assessment of the reality of life and how to live in that life and ultimately understand life under the sun and get you to your rock bottom so you look beyond the sun to Jesus, that's the point of Ecclesiastes. And so if you missed last week, that's kind of what we set the stage for. And by the way, if you missed last week, you can go back and watch that sermon on YouTube or listen to it on any platform, but you can also go back to an email I sent or on our website where I outline the whole book of Ecclesiastes, where we're going specifically, all the questions we're going to ask as we philosophize with Solomon. Uh, we have resources on that page as well. So, so dive deeper into this book with us. It's a lot to cover. Even today, we're going to cover a whole chapter, but there's way more that you can cover this week on your own. And so let's journey together uh, in this book and see what God has for us. And look with me now at Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and I'm going to read a chunk of it. We'll talk about it, and we'll do that a couple more times. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it says this, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. That's that word hevel. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces." I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. He gave you a list. Here's the catch-all. I kept from my heart no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was hevel, vanity, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So if you look at verse 1, you see this word, Test And Solomon is, is framing up really the, the whole chapter to say, hey, I took a test. And it wasn't a test with pen and paper. It was honestly a test many of you could get excited about. It was a test of pleasure, right? And he starts to list all these ways that, that he experienced pleasure. And you got to remember who Solomon was. He, he was the wealthiest man of his time. He was the most powerful man of his time. He was king. He had it all and he could get it all. And so he, What's interesting about Solomon compared to people in our day is many people pursue all kinds of pleasure. Solomon actually just didn't pursue it. He found it. And so he is giving us this test so we can test our lives of does pleasure really satisfy us at the end of the day? And he's going to honestly, I love Solomon because he is so honest. He's going to give us his list. 
He's gonna be very explicit about it. He, I'm gonna give you three categories because it's a lot of things, but he gives us entertainment, possessions, and sex. Right? He gives us entertainment. You see, he says, I had laughter. I had wine. Not just drinking a glass of wine. He's talking about drunkenness and, and going full on into wine. He's talking about folly. He talks about singers. And you don't need to think like he just had like a little karaoke in his living room. You need to think like the voice, like the show, except Solomon didn't watch it on a show. He had it in his living room, right? He had men, anybody he wanted to come. He had his own band to come in and entertain him. He had singers. Uh, he had possessions. He had houses, vineyards, gardens, parks, pools, fruit trees, herds, flocks, silver, and gold. And he had slaves to do all the work for him so he could just enjoy his possessions himself. He had sex. He had concubines. Other passages of scripture will tell us he had 300 uh, concubines and he had 700 wives. So Solomon had the most variety of sex you could imagine. In fact, if you kind of look at our culture, some scholars will say this is like Hugh Hefner and like Jeff Bezos combined. But, but I would say that that's not even accurate because Solomon was also king. So imagine if Jeff Bezos was king, like not of commerce, but king of the country. Some of you are like, it feels that way with Amazon. Like, but he's not. Solomon was. And so he had all the possessions, entertainment, sex, you could imagine. And yet, what is his conclusion? It's hevel. It's all hevel. It's like a puff of smoke. And don't get me wrong, like he, he enjoyed some of this pleasure. Verse 10, he talks about like there is pleasure here. Like I, I enjoyed those moments, but he's saying it was just a moment. That it was like a cloud that you grab it and you get it, but you open up to see what's there and you're still wanting. There's nothing there. It's not what you thought it was going to be. See, Solomon is trying to paint this picture. Remember, it's life under the sun, that, that you can pursue all the pleasure and satisfaction possible without God, and you still come to this conclusion, vanity, hevel, it's meaningless. Listen, the reality is you don't need Solomon to preach this to you. You don't, you don't need me to preach this to you, because if you pay attention, our culture preaches this to you all the time. I, I remember a few years ago, it seems appropriate to talk about Tom Brady on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, hold your booze or applause. I don't know where you are on that. But I, I remember, some of you remember this interview, Tom Brady, a few Super Bowls ago, but he was still at the pinnacle of his career, really the pinnacle of our world, like the successful person. And in this interview, he was kind of asked like, hey, what's it like? And Tom Brady just responded and he just said, this can't be it. I have the wife, the supermodel wife. I have the Super Bowls, all this success. But he said, honestly, in just a moment, he said, this can't be it. And the interview, interviewer asked him, well, what is it? And he just responded, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You see that. And you're like, well, like some of this hevel is like when things go bad in life, right? Life is frustrating. Life under the sun. Things are broken. Sin infected and affected everything. Like some of the hevel is that... But Solomon's saying also some of the hevel is experiencing the epitome of pleasure and success and satisfaction, but still being, I, I don't 
know what I'm looking for. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Like you too, like, or sing to, whatever your, your jive is. Like, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And if, if football isn't your jam or music isn't your jam, like Rolling Stones, like I can't get no da-na-na satisfaction, right? Maybe comedy's your jam. Maybe Jim Carrey, the, the great theologian of the 1990s, who said that I wish everyone could be rich and famous so they could realize it's not enough. You, you don't need Solomon to preach this to you. You don't need me to preach this to you. Our culture, if you pay attention, pay attention, our culture preaches this to you every single day. It's all hevel. Apart from God, pursuing pleasure, it's meaningless. It's like a puff of smoke. It dissipates, it disappears. Just when you think you grabbed it. And listen, in Phoenix in 2022, we do need to hear this. From culture, from we do need to be reminded, we do need to pay attention. Listen, we have an area of our city called Paradise Valley. I was there yesterday with my wife shopping. And they were on the intercom. They were like, thank you for coming to Paradise Valley. It's like, man, you stop and think. Like, we're pursuing pleasure in Phoenix. We got strip malls and golf courses in the Phoenix open. Uh, we, we have everything you could imagine. And yet when you talk to people, when you talk, some of you went to the Phoenix Open. When you're having conversations at the Phoenix Open, are you talking to people and hearing about how they found a, a lasting, real, meaningful pleasure in life? Hey, how are you doing? How's work going? What's the responses you get? Busy. That's a really big season for us right now. A lot of pressure. I'm trying to get that next promotion. Man, the kids are just doing every activity. Right now. It's, it's great. You say, they say it's great, but beneath the surface, you're like, that doesn't look great. That doesn't sound great. Well, I'm really successful. I'm really in my career. That, that sounds stressful. Like, when do you sleep and eat? And oh, oh, yeah, like I'm doing all these things, but bro, your wife doesn't look happy. Y'all got some underlying issues there. Like, that's the conversations we have, but we live in Paradise Valley. What's wrong? What happened? And Solomon's saying, yeah, I've been there. Don't you just love Ecclesiastes? It's not positive, encouraging, K-love, but, but it's honest. And it, and it can empathize with us in Phoenix who are pursuing pleasure in every other way without God, and it can save us from the pain of pursuing a pleasure without God. That's the point. We're meant to ask the question, are you involving God in your pleasure? That's a question you can write down. Are you involving, how are you involving God in your pursuit of pleasure? You see, because you need to know God is not anti-pleasure. Like some of you are thinking, we talked about all these things, and like he mentioned concubines, he talked about sex and all these things like pleasure. That's kind of what we think of. And here we go again, Tim. Like I grew up in a church like this, like typical repressive, legalistic, killjoy Christianity. Like some of you, that's what you're thinking. Like just read your Bible. Yeah, he talked about fasting earlier. Do more of that. Like just white knuckle this thing. There's no pleasure. Hey, you, you're smiling. Get that smile off your face. You're in church. Be serious. Right? Some of you have experienced that. Some of you are, are thinking that. You need to know God is not anti-pleasure. 
Six times in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know what he says to do? It's a command. Enjoy. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy. You know what Psalm 16 says? Or at the right hand of God forevermore, holiness. He's trying to get you. He says pleasures, right? Psalm 16, go back and read it. At the, I mean, holiness is at his right hand, but specifically it's Psalm 16, pleasures. God is not anti-pleasure. He wants you to experience true pleasure in him not without him, right? C.S. Lewis, if you just look him up and his quotes on joy and pleasure, I mean, there were so many things I could have included. I just included one, but he says, human history is really just this terrible story of people trying to find pleasure without God. Isn't that true? As you read the history books, as you watch CNN or TMZ, isn't that true? So Solomon wants to bring you to your bottom of, hey, I'm pursuing pleasure in every other way. Is it fulfilling me? Like the career, the status, the wealth, the sex. Without God, is it fulfilling me? Or is it leaving me wanting? Is it heaven? He keeps going and he talks about wisdom. Look at verse 12 with me. He says, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes and his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this is also vanity, hevel. For the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind." Solomon says, hey, just like experiencing pleasure isn't ultimately enough, enough, neither is attaining wisdom. Now, you need to know Solomon is pro-wisdom, right? You see it in this text. Look at verse 13. He says that there's gain in wisdom. As we're going to get further into this book and even the culmination of this book, Solomon's whole point at the end is fear God, pursue wisdom, primarily in God's word. Solomon is pro-wisdom. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs. He's pro-wisdom. He says it's like light versus darkness. Some of you have tried to walk around at night, try to go to the bathroom in in the middle of the night, and you stumble into things. Solomon says, hey, that's like a, a life of foolishness. You want a life of wisdom. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, a wise man and a foolish man, they both end up in the same place, dead and forgotten. You glad you came to church today, right? Solomon, what is he showing you? Reality. At the end of the day, even a pursuit of wisdom is hevel because you end up in the same place. And see, some of us, we get tricked up on this because we read the book of Proverbs, another book of our Bible, Old Testament. We read the book of Proverbs not as principles for life, but as promises for life. We read Proverbs, which Solomon wrote a lot of them, and say, okay, if you do this, then this will happen. Because those are principles of life that are often true, but they're not guarantees in life. 
And so that's the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the exceptions to the rule. It's, hey, what happens if you do all the right things and read all the right verses and memorize the books of the Bible and take your kids to church and, and teach them all the songs and, and keep them in a private Christian school? But what happens when they get older and they don't believe in Jesus and they start deconstructing their faith and, and doubting who God is and they don't even like being around you if you're going to be going to church that day? What do we do with that? And Solomon's saying that. What about that? How do we compute that? I was uh, reminded this week, and some of you may remember this, in 2015 on CNN, there was this lady who was 104 years old, and she was being interviewed. And if you look up the interview later today, it says, uh, this 104-year-old woman, it says, her secrets to long life. And you know what they talked about? The fact that she drank for the majority of her life three Dr. Peppers a day. And she just talked about it like it was no big deal. Like this is what's gotten me to 104 years old. Do you know how many grams of sugar in a Dr. Pepper? 40. It's the equivalent of four Krispy Kreme donuts. She drank three of them a day. 12 Krispy Kreme donuts a day. I looked it up, American Heart Association. You know how many grams of sugar it recommends a woman has per day? 25. <laughs> right? How she lived 104? But Solomon's asking. <laughs> how does it work out that way? How does a guy who's 29 die of COVID, but yet he does CrossFit and eats healthy? How does that happen, but also this happen? Do you wonder that in life sometimes? Do you have questions like that? Aren't you glad the Bible has those, like it addresses those same things. Why does it work like that? And what's it meant to do? Cause you to be depressed? Cause you to give up on your diet and just drink Dr. Pepper every day? No. That's not the point. The point is to see beyond the sun. The point is to see, I can read all the books. I can be on the dean's list. I can know all the things, but at the end of the day, if I don't involve God, then that too is hevel. It's like a puff of smoke. And you grab a hold of it, and it's like, oh wait, it's not all as I thought it would be. And Solomon's bringing us you should be asking those questions. How am I pursuing pleasure without God? How am I pursuing wisdom without God as the ultimate end in my life? And he's getting us to think about that question, to ponder that, to consider that. The last thing is our work. Verse 18, look at that verse with me. Solomon continues, he says, I, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also hevel, it's vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. 
Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better. Here we get some hope. There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his tool. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom, knowledge, and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the busyness of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Solomon talks about work and he gives us some sober realities about work. And specifically for you, maybe if you overwork and and your career and your title is where you find meaning in life, is where you find your identity, Solomon tells us in verse 23, ultimately all of that is a vexation. It's an annoyance. It's stressful. He he says, ultimately, you don't even have any rest. Verse 18 and 19, he says, you eventually just leave it all to someone else. And he points out the reality of maybe they won't be wise with it. And yet they'll be the master of it. Like your house, somebody else is going to live in your house. Your job, somebody else is going to take over after you retire. And will they put the same work in? Will they make the same investment? Will they handle it properly? Like, will your kids, the, like the trust fund, will they, will they manage it wisely? And Solomon's bringing you to that point to say, okay, yeah, work is good, but it's not ultimate. Ultimately, work without God is heaven. And so he's bringing us to the point to look at, hey, if you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week to the neglect of your family and your kids, you need to check yourself because you're investing in something that you're going to, to grab a hold of one day and nothing is gonna be there. It's like a puff of smoke. And God loves you and he wants to be honest with you and say, hey, stop looking for your meaning and your pleasure and your satisfaction ultimately in your work. You won't find it there. And so how do we move forward in this? Some of you are asking that question. Tim, is there a conclusion to this? Like, we're just supposed to go home and be sad about our work and our, our wealth and our pleasure? No. How do we move forward? I'm going to give you two things. You can write these two things down. Here's our first takeaway as we look at this whole chapter. It's the only holy person God ever uses is Jesus. The only holy person God ever uses is Jesus. What do I mean by that? I know for me, as I read this this week, I was struck by the concubines that Solomon talks about. Uh, Again, we know there's 300 of them. I was struck by this idea of pleasure and typically what we think about in our culture, sinful pleasures. And Solomon, who had all the power and all the pleasure in life and how he was just willing to be honest with us about that. And yet we're supposed to learn from this guy. Have you ever wondered that? Like Solomon, was he really the wisest guy in the world? I mean, it says he had slaves. Is that wise? No. All these wives and cognitive, is that, is that the way we're supposed to? No. And yet he wrote Proverbs and he wrote Ecclesiastes. Like, I, I don't know about you. I, I have a hard time reconciling that. Until I remember the only holy person God ever uses in the Bible is Jesus Christ. See, here's what we're meant to see as we look at the life of Solomon and specifically his pursuit of pleasure. We're meant to see that God not only rescues Solomon, but he redeems Solomon for his purposes. 
so that thousands of years later, we could learn from Solomon's experience and see the emptiness, the vanity, the havel in his experience, and so that we wouldn't go down the same painful road of artificial pleasure. And some of you, you you need to take this in your life and you need to begin to share all of your story with other people because God is using it. He didn't just rescue you out of your sin and maybe your pursuit of pleasure. He didn't just rescue you out of it. He wants you to redeem it in your life. And so some of our older people in our church, man, you need to take a college guy, a college girl, a young couple, uh, the family with young kids, and you need to take them out for coffee. And young people, you need to ask them to take you out for coffee. And you need to say, hey, can you share your successes with me, but also your failures? Will you you give me your list? I mean, within reason, I don't want to know bare details, but basic details of how you pursued pleasure and you didn't find it. It was ultimately hevel. And you need to see, why can you share that? Because God rescued you out of your sinful pleasures, but he also redeemed them for his purposes. And maybe you, I would love to have a church that's multi-generational. We're learning from others and we don't have to stub our toe ourselves. We can see how somebody else did it and not do it, amen? So that's one takeaway from this chapter. The second takeaway is this, that the goal isn't removing your pursuit of pleasure, it's redirecting it to God. See, I I know as we do look at this, we're like, yeah, repressive Christianity, like don't have pleasure. Is that what the point is? No, it's not removing pleasure. It's not ignoring your affections or your emotions or your desires, even for something like sex or laughter or, or fun or entertainment. Like we all have those desires and Solomon nor I nor God is telling you to just stuff those desires. He's saying, no, reallocate those desires toward the one who can actually come through and fulfill them. You see, I love verse 24. He says, there's nothing better for a person than eating, drinking, find enjoyment in your work, that these all come from the hand of God. For apart from him, you can't experience enjoyment. He's trying to show you, hey, hey, find your joy in God. Involve God in your pursuit of pleasure. Even in the little things. Do you notice? He says, eating and drinking. Scripture will often tell us, like eating and drinking, hey, glorify God, how? Whether you eat or whether you drink. The most simple mundane things of life that everybody does every single day. Find your joy in those things because the God of the Bible, his hand is in those things. Blaise Pascal is famous for, for saying a lot of things, but one quote that really stuck out to me, he said, all of happiness, we're typically, all of happiness, we're just preparing for it and not experience it in the moment. And Solomon's trying to save us from that. Hey, enjoy just the little thing, eating and drinking. Enjoy them with God, like friendship, family. Enjoy those things along the way. Don't just plan for, hey, that pleasure I get one day, that career I get one day, that success that I'm pursuing one day, that that wealth that I'm pursuing one day. Like when you're retired and you're too tired to enjoy it anyway. Come on, somebody. Don't just look for what's next. Enjoy the present. Be fully present in the present. You see, one of the most spiritual things I'm going to do today is go watch the Super Bowl with my community group. Preferably Nathan Thomas, who's hosting, over some smoked meats, like medium well steak. No pressure, right? 
I'm gonna get with some people in our church and we're gonna share a meal together and we're gonna pray together, we're gonna laugh together, maybe enjoy a game together, I don't know if it's gonna be good. But God and his hand is gonna be all over that. See, this is what we have to see is God's not just present with us in this space or a building, he's present with who? His people. So even when we eat or drink, yeah, we can glorify God and experience his pleasure. Don't miss that. It's not about removing pleasure. It's about redirecting your pleasure with and toward God. I thought about this weekend, and here's where we'll close, is um, I went to the ballet. That's not a confession. (laughs) Um, I'm proud of the fact that I went to the ballet. And I went with several people from our church because we have several people in our church who are in the ballet. Uh, They were the main characters, in fact, in uh, the performance of Romeo and Juliet. And uh, I've gotten to see this play before by them, and and, uh, it was so cool to see it once again. But I was reminded of uh, an often forgotten figure in Romeo and Juliet. She's the first love of Romeo, in fact. Her name was Rosalind. Any of you guys remember Rosalind? She's kind of mentioned in the book, like before, she, before he goes after Juliet, he's in love with somebody else. Her name is Rosalind. And you kind of see, how does he get over Rosalind? He meets Juliet. Come on, somebody. He sees Juliet at the party and he's like, Rosalind, who? This is what I was really looking for. That's the pursuit of pleasure in the Christian life. All of these things, these successes, career, status, money, sex, all these things, like, yeah, you can go down those roads and they seem so enticed. They seem like a a cloud. You can grab a hold of it. But at the end of the day, it's empty. But how do you replace that? You find a better joy. It's like the Puritans. They used to say, how do you dislodge this beautiful thing in your heart? You replace it with a more beautiful thing. That's the pursuit of pleasure for the Christian. Are you, listen, if you're not a Christian, are you, are you pursuing pleasure in ways that are gonna be painful? If you are a Christian, are you acting like you're not a Christian in the way that you pursue pleasure? You have a God who wants to give you ultimate pleasure. Pursue him, he's better, amen? Pursue him. That's what we're meant to do as we read this. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for this sobering text about the ways we pursue pleasure. God, I do pray for the men and women in this room that they would take stock of how they invest their time, talent, and treasure in a pursuit of pleasure and whether God is involved in that at all. And we would realize you're not trying to deprive us from pleasure. God, you wanna give us pleasures forevermore. You just wanna do that in you, not in ourselves. And so God, I I pray that you would help us to to celebrate the pleasure we can experience in you, to to maybe be thankful for all the little times we get to eat and drink and have friendships and family, for the ways we're gonna even leave and do that today and know that you're in the midst of that. And we wouldn't miss it, we would enjoy it for your glory, for our good. We pray that in the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.